why does God let bad things happen in the church when we're doing the right things? Why would God let bad things happen in our church when we're trying so hard to do the right things? In the middle of 2009, and in the middle of a host of bad events, we suddenly lost our board chair, Lee Smith. And I struggled with this. I almost wrote a little eulogy and realized there's no way to do this right. So I just said, you know, there's, there's so much good we can say about Lee. Uh, but at this point, it was a painful experience, obviously for his sisters, Mary, all his family, and also for us as a church, and for me as his friend. And Lee was, wow, he was young. He, he's only a year older than I am right now. And he loved this church dearly. So why would God let something so devastating happen? I mean, I was sure that God was going to use Lee to help us build this church. And I I said that the loss of Lee was in the middle of a full year of difficulties. I've got some close friends who are also pastors with whom I talked about all the things that had happened in this little church in our lives over that year or so. And they would say something like, and I'm not kidding, they would say, I'm going to quit complaining now. (laughs) Literally. I couldn't believe all that happened, and it was amazing. In fact, many of them just assumed I would leave the ministry. Just a few months ago, I actually saw one. It was just a few months ago, I saw one, and he said, hey, what are you doing now? He thought I had retired as a pastor. He assumed I had. So why would God let so much bad happen here? I mean, does he care about us? <laughs> and what are we supposed to do? Can we really have hope for this little church? Can we see a future where God blesses us? Where everyone can tell that God is blessing us? And it's hard not to feel alone when troubles pour down on you. But I got some good news for you. <laughs> the early church went through some terrible issues. <laughs> You're saying, wait, that's the good news? <laughs> well, yes, they made it through and more, much more. And knowing that sometimes they must have felt something like we do, kind of helps me. If you've been here the last few weeks, you've heard about how wonderful it was in the early church. Everything was going great. And then those that were opposed to them throw the apostles in jail. Ananias and Sapphira try to deceive the leaders and die right in front of everyone. The opposition gets more jealous and more cruel. And now another problem Now, in those days, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Old women, with no one to help them, going hungry, believing women. Before I go into detail about the problem and how it was solved, I want to jump to the end. (laughs) I want us to be able to grasp hope Well, we talk about how to live perfectly. After this latest issue, the most amazing thing happens. And the word of God continued to increase. 
And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The priests, the very ones who had earlier opposed Jesus and after his death and resurrection, his disciples. And now the church isn't just multiplying, it's flourishing. So knowing that working through issues is worth the effort. Let's go back and look at this issue in the early church more carefully. Then we'll see how they lived so they could see this wondrous outcome. And maybe how we can live so that we can see the wonderful outcome God has for us. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The root of the problem is in that first part. They were increasing in number. The disciples, even with their helpers, simply couldn't manage the volume of people who were now in the church. They wanted to, but it's simply an issue of omnipotence versus limited power, omniscience versus limited knowledge, the infinite versus the finite. God is infinite in many ways, knows all things, he's all-powerful. So if anybody needs anything, he can do as he wills for them. The disciples? Not so much so. (laughs) And neither is any human being walking this planet today. The point is simple. Good, well-meaning people will fail you. Not because they want to, but simply because they are limited in ability. We, every last one of us, are limited in ability. And we will fail people that we want to help because we are finite. So how can we live perfectly when we can't help but fail people? (laughs) Well, first, remember that when there's a problem in the church, it may not be that the people are sinning against us. They may not even know we have a problem, like the apostles didn't know about the hungry widows. Or they may be powerless to do anything about it even if they knew. Still, we need to live perfect lives in this imperfect world. And we should be clear, sometimes people do sin against us. (laughs) Believers, even, sin against us. Uh, Then we'd have to consider the biblical instruction about forgiveness and discipline, like Jesus' instruction in Matthew 18. But many times, maybe even most of the time, people are simply limited. They're limited in knowledge. They're limited in understanding. They're limited in strength, physical strength, emotional strength, financial strength, etc., etc., When our expectations are not met, we should also remember that we are all limited in time as well. And because we, unlike God, are limited also in location, there is simply no way that we can get to everyone and do everything. So when a problem shows up, first ask if perhaps we're simply running into the limitations of being human, especially being human in a fallen world. Like the disciples, they were doing great, batting 1,000. (laughs) And now they have this problem. How did it happen? And who are these Hellenists and Hebrews? (laughs) Aren't they, they all Jews? Well, yes, for the most part, they were all Jews. The difference is in where they lived. A Hebrew was a Jew who grew up in Israel, in and around Jerusalem, speaking the language of Palestine. A Hellenist was a Jew, or proselyte, who grew up in the Greco-Roman world somewhere, and they usually spoke Greek as their first language. Okay, then. 
how did all those Hellenists, in particular all those Hellenist widows, end up in Jerusalem? Most of the Greek-speaking converts were those who had heard the message when they came to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. And then they decided to devote themselves to the faith and stayed in Jerusalem to study under the apostles. Now remember, they already believed in the one God. They just came to realize that Jesus is God, the person of the Son in human form. But the widows, the widows are a special problem. Most Jews at that time, as now, didn't live in Israel, but a great many of them wanted to spend their last days in the homeland. So they would sell everything, and even if it took their last dime, they'd make their way to Jerusalem. There they could die in peace and be buried in the city of God in Jerusalem. There was even an urban legend that contributed to this trend. It said that those who were buried outside of Israel would have to go through some painful extra effort in order to be resurrected. Isn't that wild? So yeah, that was the, that was the urban legend of the day. But also then, as now, men tended to die before women. That's the way it is. But in that culture and time, there was no easy way for a widow to find support, let alone a job, now that she was far away from her friends and family. So they were deeply dependent on the faith community to help them. But they had moved from Moses to Christ. The synagogues, the temple, they were not likely to be willing to support them. If the church didn't, no one would. So why wasn't the church supporting them? How did the church miss them? Well, quite simply, they didn't know about them. Peter and all the apostles grew up in Israel. Most all their helpers did too. At home they spoke different language. They simply didn't know or know about these women. And now that the church had gotten so large, they lost track of them. Okay, we understand the problem pretty well, but there is also a complicating issue. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Serves as an explanation pretty well. The apostles were busy preaching the word of God. So taking time to make sure people had enough to eat was a poor use of their time. Remember, there was no New Testament yet. If the apostles didn't teach it, no one would or could. But this statement points out a critical issue. If you studied the Old Testament, you might remember way back when Israel first left Egypt. They had been just a big clan living in Egypt. Now they had to become a nation. God told Moses to lead them, so he was trying to do everything. Teach them everything God had said. Remember, there's no written Bible at all yet then. In fact, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible under the urging and direction of the Holy Spirit. But Moses also decided all the court cases for three million people. (laughs) Needless to say, it wasn't working. Enter Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring, a, bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the law and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So far, so good. Here's the new part. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands of hundreds of fifties, and of tens. You're doing well with instructing the people as to what God says, but you can do better in another area. Trust good men to take over for you. 
Lots of cultural stuff in there, but overall good advice. And in fact, our court system in our constitution was specifically patterned after this model. Oh, those self-serving lawyers have eaten away at it pretty bad. <sighs> there are good lawyers, by the way. I, I've actually met some. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're in the minority. But, to get back to our point, the apostles also recognized that their primary function was to teach and preach, that we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the work. As we said, there was no written New Testament yet. They had heard the words of Jesus come from his lips, and they needed to pass that on to the people. So to live perfect in an imperfect world, they had to stop trying to make sure everyone had enough to eat. To live Perfectly, they must stop trying to do everything, even some good things. They needed other people to take on some of the tasks. So here's their proposed solution. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. You pick, we'll appoint. Before I get into the details of how they were to pick, let's look at who at who they did pick. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Uh, those names don't sound quite right, quite as biblical as we're used to, do they? Especially those middle four. <laughs> There's a good explanation for that. They're not Hebrew names. They're Greek names. Names Hellenists would use. The congregation was still mostly Hebrews, and yet they consciously and carefully chose men who would be sensitive to the problem. They chose Hellenists. They even chose at least one non-Jew, a proselyte. Nicholas had converted to Judaism and then moved on to Christianity when the church was born. By the way, and a, a, an aside, a, a, a today's first one, Antioch becomes the center of Christianity after the fall of Jerusalem. I'm not sure if it had anything to do with Nicholas, but it's still kind of an interesting fact, isn't it? <laughs> well, back then, in true Christian love, the church chose men who were Hellenists to care for their own widows. Even though choosing Hebrew people that they already knew well would have been easier and even quicker. So our lesson, to live perfect, perfectly in an imperfect world, it's important to take affirmative action. <laughs> I know the government people try to do this, but they completely mess it up. Our early brothers and sisters knew how to do it right. You want someone to make sure the Hellenist widows are fed? Get a Hellenist to watch over it. I've sat in, but I've never taught, a class in how to recover from alcohol and drug addiction. I'm, you know, sure, I could probably give the right answers, you know, biblically and, and maybe even psychologically and physiologically. But my heart wouldn't understand. Because I've never drank alcoholic beverages, ever. and I've never taken any addictive drugs. So I don't understand. And yes, it's true. Every person struggles with some sort of addiction themselves. So I do have some understanding but I'm not likely to be the best choice. <laughs> Probably somebody better. I think perhaps it's true. I heard somebody say this. The worst anti-smoker is an ex-smoker. <laughs> 
And it's just true that no one understands like someone who's been there. Didn't Jesus come here, at least in part, to share in human suffering? Perfect living, should this be your desire, requires sensitivity to the needs of others. So, we're to be sensitive to the needs of those around us. Great. What else? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> what were the three requirements for these men? Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. The solution, the apostle said, required men who were especially reputable, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. Let's look in more detail at the three main qualifications of a perfect helper in the church. Three goals for all of us. We may not be there yet, <laughs> but we can work on all of these. The first is reputation. Paul would later write concerning prospective pastors. He uses the word overseer here, just, just another word for pastor. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The list goes on, but the first thing he must be is above reproach. Have a good reputation. Would you like to know the last requirement for a pastor, elder, overseer in that same exact list? Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. In other words, have a good reputation with those who do not believe. There are multiple reasons for this and we won't go into it today, but you might also be saying, wait, I'm not a pastor and Weren't we talking about helpers? This is an excellent observation. You're so sharp today. <laughs> You'll be happy to know, after the above description, Paul goes on concerning the only other official church office the Bible speaks of, deacons, a word which means helper. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. Dignified. In other words, a person who acts respectably, who has a good reputation. And he says the same thing about women who would be helpers, deacons. Their wives, women, likewise must be dignified. The word for woman and wife, it's the same word in Greek. Uh, you have to consider the context to determine which meaning is intended, or both are. But again, as the first requirement, good behavior that results in a good reputation. And, if you do this right, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Gain a good standing with God? In the church? With those outside? Well, we'll look at one of those early helpers, Stephen, in detail in a later talk, and maybe we'll answer that question then. You just have to wait. <laughs> but for now... Let's recognize that helping in the church requires that we do our best to maintain a good reputation, as far as it depends on us, and both in and out of the church. Hopefully that'll make us think before acting. And don't forget, Satan and his evil crew are always trying to push us into saying or doing something that damages our reputation or hurts others. So resist him. And then consider, if your reputation was a flag flying for all to see, would it be tattered or gloriously pure? Okay. Have a good reputation. 
But helpers also must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like we, very shortly, find out Stephen was. When they put him on trial, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now that is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus, what Jesus promised concerning this? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Well, sure, Rick. But he was talking to the apostles when he promised the Holy Spirit would fill them. So how do we know that's for us? Or for that matter, for anyone else? You guys are just doing great today. And it works like this. <laughs> Peter later reported to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem about a group of Gentiles to whom he had preached. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Even Gentiles could be given the Holy Spirit. They could also be filled with the Holy Spirit. And us? Gentiles of another time. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Paul commands the church in Ephesus to do their part in being consumed with passion for and by the Holy Spirit. To so let him control their lives that their deepest desire is to hear his voice and do his will. And this should be our burning passion as well. If we want to be a help in the church. And that would require wisdom. Stephen, the poster child for a great helper in the church, showed quite clearly that he possessed these traits. And some of those enemies rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen had wisdom. Yes. So, where do we get wisdom? <laughs> Jesus told the disciples, when it gets tough, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Their wisdom, and ours, comes through Jesus Christ. Study his words, his life, his church, and you will gain wisdom. After Jesus was risen from the dead, he began the process of giving wisdom to the apostles. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. When we understand the scriptures, we will have wisdom. Of course, to understand the scriptures, you have to read them. <laughs> and then, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We have to get with others to study the scriptures with them. Then we can be among those who have the word of God richly dwelling in them, who have had the honor of being taught the scriptures and are now ready to share with others. Also, as James promised, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Ask, and you will find wisdom. So, they found men who have good reputations, are filled with the Spirit, 
and demonstrate wisdom born of careful study of the word under the apostles. Now what? These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Jesus chose the apostles. The first official leaders of the church, after that, were chosen by the church. Sort of. <laughs> really, they were appointed by the Holy Spirit. When Paul was saying goodbye for the last time to the elders in Ephesus, he said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit made them overseers. But we know from Scripture that Paul appointed them through Timothy. That they prayed and laid their hands on them just as Peter and the other disciples, the other apostles did with Stephen and the others. So what's going on here? The church doesn't, you see, make people leaders. It only recognizes what the Holy Spirit has done. And, of course, does its part to train them. No mere human can make anyone a leader in the church. And neither can they stop them from being a leader in the church. And yet God clearly wants the church to do the recognizing. <laughs> wants us to be a part of his plan. An active part of his plan. Okay, another side note. If a person claims that they should be a leader in the church and yet is recognized by no Christian group, they may not be a leader in the church or not ready to be a leader in the church. But if they are, if you are, we can live perfect lives in this world. Well, as perfect as living can be when we are so limited and so fallen. <clears throat> God gives us as a good gift the problems we have. He knows that working through them will bring us to a point of wonderful growth, individually, but also corporately. Oh, sure. It will not be like what the church saw then. We don't live in a culture like they did. But it will be the right thing for us. And all we have to do is live perfectly. <laughs> We need each one of us to recognize our own position in the church and we need each one of us to recognize who God has given us to learn from or be helped by and who he has given us to teach or help. And we need each one of us to be sensitive to the needs of others and purposefully take action that will ensure their needs are properly met. And then there are those three basic criteria of a leader that we should all be striving for. No mere human can give us a good reputation, but they can recognize it. Clearly no human can fill us with the Holy Spirit, but somehow we are each a part of our own filling, and others should know that we are filled with the Spirit. No man or woman can impart wisdom to us. I mean, sure, some can help us find it, and yes, they can see it in us. And when they do see all this in us, we will see the amazing result God has for us. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Obedient to the faith. If those priests, many of whom opposed Jesus to the point of death, could become obedient to the faith, certainly we can. <laughs> 
And we can expect to see others who might have opposed us, even wished harm to us, become believers in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and followers of him. And then we will see God's plan for us unfold in all its glorious beauty because we'll be living perfectly. Reputation, how you live, filled with the Holy Spirit, who you are, living with wisdom, how you think. You truly want to be a help to the church. And you need to live perfectly in reputation with the Spirit by wisdom. Father, sometimes your words are interesting, <laughs> difficult to grasp. Sometimes they're clear as a bell and you know, they're just difficult in another area. <laughs> Uh, we are such fallen creatures and the, the entire concept of living perfectly for you is yeah. we know who we are but in fact there's a way we can do it perfectly being careful about our reputation being careful about our study of your word being careful to have our own spirits filled with your spirit And maybe, just maybe, we'll have the wisdom to talk to those people who even oppose us, try to make our lives miserable. Maybe even some of those would believe, like some of those priests did. That'd sure be amazing. Sure be glorious. Father, you have a great plan for each one of us for your whole church corporate, every person who's ever believed and ever will believe in this whole earth. But even for this little body here, you have a plan. You know what you're doing. And we trust you that you will help us to live right, to be right, to think right for you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.